1: I've always had in the back of my mind that, you know, did she feel so guilty about those deaths that she survived, that she continues to try to punish herself by taking the people that she loves, you know, and killing them.
2: I'm Darren Carp, and this is Killer Questions. Today, we're talking about the fiery case of Shirley Winters. Shirley Winters has lived a difficult life. Trauma seems to follow her wherever she goes. She's just one of those people. At seven years old, all of her siblings perished in a tragic accident on the same night. The remainder of her childhood turns out to be no less troubling. Though Shirley grows up and gets married, seemingly moving forward from her difficult past, the horrible traumas continue to haunt her and the people she loves most. Her children suffer horrific fates. Her closest friends continually lose loved ones and homes. Not to mention, Shirley's own homes repeatedly catch fire. The more I learn about Shirley and her life, the more questions I have. Could one woman really be innocently linked to all these tragedies? Could or should these accidents have been prevented? There are just a ton of unanswered questions when it comes to the story. On this episode, we're going to talk through the ones troubling me the most with fire investigator Ron Ryan, the man who literally wrote the book on this case and continues to be just as obsessed by it as me. On February 27, 1958, Shirley Barron is born in Onondaga County, New York, the third of her mother, Marilyn's four children. When Shirley is only six, she suffers a traumatic and potentially life-altering experience. Her older sister Joyce's dress catches fire. It's an accident that almost kills her. Now, if that didn't alter her life, what happens a year later I would say certainly does. Shirley is spending the night at her grandmother's house when her three siblings, 11-year-old Peter, 10-year-old Joyce, and 4-year-old Lita all passed away during the night only Shirley's mother, Marilyn, survives the freak carbon monoxide leak. And yes, the children's deaths are determined to be a tragic accident caused by the fumes leaking from a faulty gas furnace. Just horrible, tragic, horrendous all around. After her siblings' death, Shirley becomes extremely badly behaved sometimes even reaching the point of physical violence. Her family recalls that she would quote, bite, throw things, dig her nails into you. Mental health workers have commented on this behavior, noting that children become violent as a response to trauma is actually pretty uncommon. More often, children who go through a lot of loss when they're very young become quiet and turn into themselves rather than acting out explosively. This tells us her behavioral issues are clinically viewed as rare. So like right off the top, we can see Shirley is different than most. But how different? Just stick with me here. Okay, so in 1977, Shirley turns 18 years old and marries a 21-year-old man named Ronald Winters. Two years later, on the evening of September 12th, 1979, the Winters family is staying in a wood frame cabin that belongs to Shirley's parents. Shirley is at the cabin while Ronald is out at work. Their two children, three-year-old Colleen and one-year-old John are all asleep in their beds. Now, the story goes that Shirley is watching TV in the living room, waiting for her husband to come home when a fire breaks out in the children's bedroom, killing them both. Investigators at the time identify a faulty electric lamp to be the reason the fire starts. However, state police disagree with this ruling. A final consensus is never reached as to the cause of the fire. Now, coincidentally, detectives learned that that an extremely similar fire had broken out just one day before at the home of one of Shirley's friends, roughly 50 miles away. A wood stove in the corner of the room is determined to be the source of that fire. Investigators in that case believe that a piece of tinder was left too close to the stove and combusted, setting the room ablaze. All three of the children living in that home also perished. After the death of their children, Shirley and Ronald's marriage becomes extremely rocky and the two separate, although they do remain married. Three years later, they have another baby together and name him Ronald III. Only five months after his birth, baby Ronald passes away. His cause of death is ruled to be SIDS, which is sudden infant death syndrome. Ronald dies on November 21st, and that's Shirley's mother's birthday, actually. There's a lot of woo-woo universe stuff in this case that I just want to kind of pay attention to. Dates are really important. Okay, now the tragedies surrounding this woman, shockingly, don't stop there. On January 3rd, 1981, a fire occurs in Shirley's trailer with two separate points of origin. The incident is ruled an arson by investigators. However, the charge does not stick. And a month later, on February 10th, another fire occurs in Shirley's home. Once again, Shirley is charged with arson and criminal mischief in the fourth degree. But this time, the charge sticks. Shirley is finally found guilty and is sentenced to three years probation with mandatory psychiatric treatment. Wow, just crazy, right? But don't think for a second that Shirley's story ends here. Joining me on today's episode is Ron Ryan, the past fire chief of Navarino. Ron wrote the book Teflon Shelley, where he dives into this case in tremendous detail. He knows the story inside and out, and we're just so excited to have the opportunity to chat about the ins and outs of this bizarre story with him. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you, and thank you for having me. I just want to kind of start off real quick. What kind of drew you to this case? Do you have a personal connection with this? What piqued your interest?
1: Uh, very personal. Um, actually, it started when I was eight years old. I went to school with one of Shirley's um, siblings that was killed in the carbon monoxide accident in 1966. So my involvement started then. It just so happened I became a fire investigator with Onondaga County and her activities just you know, professionally intertwined with my duties.
2: That's a strong personal connection, obviously. There's going to be an emotional element to it. But also given your job, you know, this is this is kind of pyromania at its finest to maybe put a loose term on it. Do you still find yourself interested in some of these unanswered questions in this case? I'm just wondering if you've kind of answered all of the questions that you have in your head after doing this or are there still unanswered questions for you?
1: There's still unanswered questions. I wish I could say that we you successfully concluded the case. I think we've put an end to her um, madness, if you will, as far as killing kids and setting fires as a result of her incarceration. But there's a lot of unanswered questions. And the biggest one is, why the hell? What was going through your mind that you felt so driven to cause this type of tragedy and pain to the people you love the most or
2: should love the most? Well, thanks for joining us. Let's get right into it. It seems the investigation team is finally seeing a pattern here with all of these fires. Ron, why does the fire investigation team seem to have such a hard time getting these charges to stick initially? Well,
1: fire investigations is very difficult to begin with. You really have to be able to determine, one, that the fire is incendiary. And secondly, who is responsible for that fire? It could be an individual or it could be a product or, or um,
2: you know, a natural event. So at the point, Shirley is finally convicted of arson and sentenced to probation and psychiatric counseling. Does anyone question whether Shirley may or may not have been involved in her son's death? Does anyone have piqued interest towards Shirley right now?
1: As far as uh, Ron Winters third in the SIDS death, I don't think there's any question in, with her involvement.
2: Has anyone noticed that there's an awful and I mean an awful lot of coincidences going on here? It seems strange that the children around Shirley seem to be dying on these dates that seem to have so much meaning to her. Her mom's birthday, the day right after her friend's children also died. There's just a lot of tragedy that surrounds Shirley. Is it possible that she's just unlucky or she's causing this stuff?
1: Well, I think when you take a look at fires um, in their totality, most people may suffer one fire, maybe two in their lifetime. We've connected uh, Shirley Winters with over 17 fires. She either knew somebody that lived there, she'd lived there herself, or had some type of connection with the fire event that occurred.
2: On November 9th, 1982, while Shirley's still on probation for her arson conviction the year prior, another fire breaks out in Shirley's trailer. Shirley is charged with a separate count of arson as well as violating her probation. Between 1984 and 1987, three years, while all these arson cases are being decided, Shirley gives birth to three children, two girls named Joy and Ashley and a boy named Clayton. In 1987, Shirley and Ron finally divorce and Shirley moves with her kids to Syracuse, New York. In 1989, two years later, Shirley is tried on several more arson charges, including two fires that break out at two different homes where she lives with her kids. That year, Shirley's 1982 arson charges are presented to a jury, but gets thrown out. Why? Well, the jury remains hopelessly deadlocked and is unable to reach a verdict. The case is then retried, and the second jury finds Shirley not guilty, and she's able to go home to her children. On November 12, 1989, another fire breaks out on the basement storage space of Shirley's home. Shirley rescues four-year-old Ashley and two-year-old Clayton from the burning house, but leaves five-year-old Joy inside. Joy does survive the inferno because she's able to escape from the home by herself, which is wildly impressive for a five-year-old, let me tell you. I don't know that I could even do that as an adult. Good for her. Joy later admits to Ron's mother, her paternal grandmother, that Shirley had instructed her to stay inside the home during the fire. Holy you-know-what. I mean, so to say Joy is a survivor, I think is a complete understatement here. In my opinion, it seems that Shirley Winters is a pyromaniac. But does being a pyromaniac necessarily mean you want to kill people or do they simply go hand in hand in Shirley's case specifically?
1: I think that's one of the biggest unanswered questions. We don't know what's going on in her mind. She doesn't fit the normal profile uh, of an arsonist or a serial arsonist, for that matter. Usually, you know, there's some type of vanity or revenge or profit uh, uh, motives for most uh, for most arsonists. Shirley doesn't really seem to fit any of them. I've always said, and I can't help but believe, that her troubling past— resulting in in the uh, death of her brothers and sisters back in 1966, was a contributing factor. I've always had in the back of my mind that, you know, did she feel so guilty about those deaths that she survived that she continues to try to punish herself by taking the people that she loves, you know, and killing them.
2: It does really seem like a case of psychology here, this projection of her own guilt or trouble. I mean, we know that survivor's guilt absolutely exists. And at four years old, I mean, how could you kind of not internalize it? But, you know, you kind of said that she doesn't fit the normal profile for this pyromaniac. But Ron, how does she not fit this profile? There's so many fires around her. What are you looking at? What are you looking for that she's not fitting right now?
1: The fact that there doesn't seem to be any uh, direct benefit to her. There's no, you know, heroism. You know, she doesn't try to rescue the child or, or, you know, like you would in a vanity fire. She's not getting any profit, you know, monetary profit from any of the fires that she sets. So it really comes down to appear to be a psychological satisfaction um, that she gets in her own mind. You know, it's one of the questions, if I ever meet her face to face, is not if you did it, but why did you do it?
2: On January 6th, 1990, after yet another fire at Shirley's home, Social Services removes the three children from their mother's custody and places them with her ex-husband, Ronald. After her children are taken away to safety, Shirley checks herself into an inpatient psychiatric facility where she stays for a few days before deciding to leave. Now, we're going to find out that Shirley checks in and out of psychiatric facilities a number of times throughout her life. What's the deal here? I mean, is this against medical advice? How is she able to kind of slip through these cracks so easily considering the fact that she seems to be under, I would assume, proper psychiatric mental care? How is this possible?
1: I'm not so sure she stayed current on her care. There's several instances over the years that uh, medication that had been uh, prescribed to her, she, by her own accounts, uh, couldn't afford it or wouldn't take it.
2: Throughout 1990, four separate fires break out in the homes where Shirley lives. Two of those fires occur in her aunt's garage. The second one burns the home to the ground. I just don't understand how this woman can have so many fires around her. I'm just, this is absurd to me. In 1990, Shirley attempts suicide by trying to jump off a bridge after visiting the graves of her first two children, John and Colleen. Later that same year, Shirley is charged with a fourth count of arson, this time for a fire set at a bowling alley near her home. In 1997, a fire breaks out in Shirley's mom's house. Shirley is charged with a fifth count of arson. This time, Shirley pleads guilty to the charge, admitting that she knew her cousin was inside when she started the fire, and she's sentenced to eight years in prison. Do we know if Shirley meant to kill her cousin or did she just not care whether or not they died in the fire? Uh, No
1: question. Uh, When you mentioned her cousin, that was one of the uh, probably one of the latest fires. And one of the unusual things that she did in that fire is she used gasoline to uh, initiate it. And her cousin was asleep um, in the house at the time. It was the first fire and the only fire that we ever was able to determine that she actually uh, utilized an incinerant to aid in the kindling of spread of that fire.
2: I know correlation doesn't imply causation, but isn't there something to be said for all these fires breaking out around her? Like, how could we not connect her to it? There just really wasn't any concrete evidence to pin her down with this.
1: Well, a lot of fire investigations are are based on circumstantial evidence versus, you know, direct evidence. And that's, you know, that's a contributing factor. Another contributing factor to it was the actual multiple jurisdictions the fires were actually occurring in. Uh, they were occurring in multiple counties throughout the state.
2: I, I'm curious for you, after all of your research with her, after pouring over medical records, everything, do you have any insight as to... As to how many of these are calculated murders and how many are just her recklessly giving into the pyromania, do we know anything about whether or not she genuinely wanted to kill people
1: with the fire she was starting? I can't answer that because I, you know, I can't get in her mind. You know, there's several fires uh, that she's been contributed to that had the potential of a life hazard Um E- either injury or death occurring. But there's several of them uh, that occurred also that would just be property damage.
2: While in prison, Shirley visits a psychiatrist, which seems to be 100 percent necessary in this case. She confides in this doctor that whenever she looks for a new job, she makes sure to find a workplace that has at least one quiet room where she can be alone because she needs a place where she can respond to her hallucinations in private without her coworkers knowing. In 1999, on the 33rd anniversary of the deaths of her sisters and brother, Shirley speaks to another prison psychiatrist. And this time, she discusses her lifelong obsession with their death, stating, I've always felt that each year on this day that I would die. It is scary. It would be fate. In 2004, Shirley is released on parole, which she violates almost right away by being in possession of a lighter. Shirley remains in prison until 2005 when she's released again. She continues to seek mental health care from various doctors, but never seems to stay with one long enough to get the long term treatment she needs. In 2006, Shirley tells one of those doctors that she was, quote, hearing baby voices when she turned around. There was no one there. Shirley also admits to her doctors that on the night of the fire that killed her siblings, she had tricked her sister into letting her go to her grandma's house while the other three children stayed home. Is that an important kind of clue. Did she know something? Because it just seems so dark. I mean, clearly something about their deaths really fucked her up mentally. I wonder if that could be the cause of the mental health problems as an adult. Although, although, you know, they didn't die in the fire, right? They asphyxiated on gas, her siblings. Is that correct?
1: It was carbon monoxide. And and what happened is uh, the Children, the barren children, would take turns. Um, One of them would stay at their grandmother's house occasionally. And the night of that tragic accident in 1966, um, her sister was to go to the grandmother's house and Shirley was to be home. They ended up actually getting in an argument on the school bus about who was going and Shirley was throwing a temper tantrum and wanted to go to the grandmother's house to spend the night. And the older sister finally gave in and said, "Okay, Shirley, you go ahead and go to grandma's. You know, I'll stay home tonight. Unfortunately, that tragic accident happened, which based on uh, police reports back at the, on the, at the time was contributed to a dog climbing under uh, a crawl space and knocking the exhaust vent off of a floor oh uh, furnace, which uh, filled the house with carbon monoxide and killed the three, three children and um, actually injured uh, uh, Shirley's mother. However, she did survive.
2: It, it seems super lucky that Shirley was at her grandma's house at the time. You don't connect that to being malicious in any sort of way, that Shirley would have no idea that carbon monoxide poisoning was going to happen, right? I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking about this, but I think hindsight's twenty twenty, and maybe I'm just putting a little historical context to something that doesn't deserve it.
1: Again, you know, I'm not a psychiatrist, but to me, that was the event that started her downward spiral. tragic, tragic accident. It was underneath the house. Numerous uh, numbers of her fires were uh, underneath the structures, in the basement, uh, underneath porches, um, you know, low in the structure, kind of mimicking the um, carbon monoxide accident that occurred in 66.
2: And so in your professional opinion as a human being and as someone who has studied this, Do you think she blamed herself for the deaths of her siblings?
1: I'm not so sure she blamed herself for the death of her siblings as much as she blamed herself for not being one of the siblings that died. And, you know, I think that kind of shows in her path uh, throughout her adult life just by the numerous uh, attempted suicide.
0: Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to Bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's Bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST.
2: During her mental health treatment, Shirley informs her doctors that she hasn't been taking the medication they've prescribed. Both because she can't afford it, and then when she can afford to buy it, she often forgets. When she does remember to take them, they make her feel Overweight. Around this time, Shirley checks herself into another inpatient program where the doctors notice even more unsettling behavior. Shirley seems to compulsively injure herself by hitting her head against the wall and stabbing her legs repeatedly with whatever sharp objects she can get her hands on. On November 18th, 2006, Shirley visits friends who happen to be watching their grandson, Ryan Rivers. Ryan is one month away from a second birthday. While Shirley is visiting, Ryan drowns in the bathtub. Ryan was not taking a bath at the time of the drowning. He was found face-up and fully clothed in the tub. His sneakers are dry, indicating only the upper part of his body was submerged. Do we know where Shirley was at the time? Was she anywhere near Ryan at this point? What do we kind of know the relationship between Ryan and Shirley?
1: Shortly after the death occurred, one of the family members that were actually in the house uh, that night contacted the police officials and indicated that Shirley was, in fact, at the residence that day and was seen coming out of the bathroom four minutes before uh, Ryan Rivers was um, uh, discovered drowned.
2: One week after Ryan passes away, Shirley is pulled over for swerving her car while driving. During the stop, police noticed that Shirley's clothes are torn up, And she has what has appeared to be deep scratches all over her body, her wrists, neck, chest and face. Shirley also seems to be muttering to herself compulsively, saying things like, quote, the evil has to stop. The evil is trying to get out, end quote. Shirley tells detectives that she hasn't taken the medication she needed to treat her schizophrenia and that she's on her way to an inpatient mental health care facility, but has lost her way. And on March 16th, 2007, Shirley attempts suicide and is admitted to a hospital for inpatient care. In 2007, that same year, Shirley is indicted on two murder charges. On March 28th, Shirley is charged in Onondaga County, New York, with the murder of her five-month-old son, Ronald Winners, who passed away in 1980. Now, remember, Ronald's cause of death is initially determined to be SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. However, after baby Ryan drowns in 2006 while Shirley is present in the home, investigators become suspicious that she might have something to do with his death. Ronald's body is then exhumed, and investigators finally conduct a full autopsy. Why it wasn't conducted originally, I will have no idea, and that question still haunts me. But the examination shows that Ronald was smothered to death. The bodies of Shirley's first two children, Colleen and John, who had perished in a house fire, are also exhumed for autopsy. The examination finds that both children suffered blunt force trauma to their heads prior to the fire. How... Is it possible, Ron, did investigators not fucking notice blunt force trauma at the time that they're ruling these deaths? Were their bodies too badly damaged in the fire to determine that? And so therefore the, you know, they the bodies need to be exhumed or how did that work?
1: The bodies were um, extremely thermal damaged as a result of the 1979 fire. As a result of the thermal damage that had occurred to the bodies, they were packaged in two plastic bags and almost airtight. And when the exhumation actually uh, occurred, the two badly damaged bodies were in better condition than the young man who died of SIDS in in 1980. As far as the determination of uh, Dr. Jambalak of determining that uh, the, the children in the 79 fire had been uh, killed by blunt force. You know, I don't know what she's basing her uh, her findings on. That, that was her determination after the second autopsy.
2: Do you view all this as oversight?
1: Well, I go back to, you know, the fire investigation community in 1979 when that fire occurred. Most fire investigation units were in their infancy, and a lot of the information and training that we received was based on junk science. The damage that occurred in 1979 to that cabin, it had totally collapsed. And I I don't know how anyone could determine if, at that point in time anyways, if any Injuries or damage to the bodies were a result of structural collapse, you know, uh, timbers and stuff hitting the child uh, versus what was um, pre-fire injuries.
2: On September 19th, Shirley is charged with murder in St. Lawrence County for the death of two-year-old Ryan Rivers. In April of 2008, Shirley pleads guilty to first-degree manslaughter for the deaths of both Ronald and Ryan. Now, Shirley makes sure to clarify for the court that when she smothered her son Ronald, she didn't mean to kill him, and she was only, quote, trying to seriously injure him. Shirley is allowed to plead guilty to both charges at the same time, and in return, she's able to concurrently serve whatever sentence she's given. In exchange for her guilty plea on both murder charges, Shirley will not be prosecuted for the deaths of Colleen and John. If Shirley had been convicted on both charges separately, she could potentially have been given multiple life sentences. In June of 2008, Shirley is sentenced to 20 years in prison by the St. Lawrence County Court and 8 to 25 years in prison by the Onondaga County Court. Shirley is currently in prison at Bedford Hills Correctional Facility, serving both sentences concurrently. But get this, she's going to be eligible for parole in 2025. Why is this woman, given her history of death, And fire and destruction, given a fucking plea deal. I mean, this seems super fucking lenient compared to the severity of her crimes, no?
1: I really think it's based on the evidence that was able to be collected and and be prepared to um, present to a jury. The fire investigations, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence versus direct evidence. And I think that they felt that the um, plea was sufficient to eliminate the, the nuisance and the hazards, meaning Shirley. And would satisfy the dangers that she was uh, causing to
2: society. When I first heard about this case, I almost thought there might have been a little bit of a gender bias going on here. If Shirley Winters was a man and had done all this and killed his children and all of this stuff, do you think that he would have been shown the same amount of leniency that Shirley Winters was shown?
1: I think if the circumstances were the same, regardless if it was a male or female, I think uh, that, you know, the same outcome would occur. I believe that they would have, um, you know, saved the taxpayers literally thousands and thousands of dollars by not having to go through and preparing for a trial uh, versus having the individual admit their guilt.
2: What about her family? They must have known something was going on and everyone's houses kept getting set on fire What role did her family play or people she trusted in this instance?
1: I think they had the same uh, concerns that uh, public officials had. You know, they couldn't believe that one person could be surrounded by this much tragedy, but perhaps didn't want to believe it either, that she was the root of the issues. They didn't want to believe it. I remember Ron's dad saying one time in a newscast that, you know, it's almost like a fiction story. It's like a novel. Um, We're just waiting for the last chapter to be written. It's very difficult. A lot of the information and assistance that us investigators uh, um, received was from family members. Not that they were accusatory in any way, shape or form. They were just supplying facts that you know we had to put together with the physical evidence to be able to come to the conclusions that we did.
2: Did anyone step in and warn others of the danger they were kind of putting themselves in by being around her? Or is it really just a denial, denial, denial?
1: No, as a matter of fact, there has been numerous investigators and a lot of civilians that actually uh, contributed to the successful conclusion of this case by assisting in, in providing information. And one of the things that we did is Shirley got out of prison multiple times and would move around the state, we would make a point to get to those uh, public officials and say, hey, this is the information we have. You may want to keep an eye on her. One of the things that happened uh, with that as a result of one of our visits, when she was out on parole, she was um, put into a two-family house and the landlord of the two-family house found out about her history and said, hey, no, no. Find someplace else for her to live.
2: You know, I I think of kind of red flag laws that are kind of in the popular culture now. Are there any red flags or warning signs that someone might do something like this that people can kind of look out for?
1: Shirley doesn't fit any type of mold when it comes to fire setting. All the statistics that we have, she just doesn't fit. We tried so hard to, you know, come up and maybe predict what is setting her off. When is she going to set her next fire? Who's the next victim going to be and and why? And so we plotted out what her critical times may be that she would go off the handle and do something. And unfortunately, we came up with some critical times. We did a couple stakeouts and it was just found, you know, not to be scientific. And quite honestly, we scrapped it.
2: You know, she's up for parole in 2025, which is basically tomorrow. Can a person like this ever truly be rehabilitated back into society? What is your take on her coming out in 2025?
1: It's my understanding, based on the information that I've received from the prison system, is that she has been seeking some um, uh, psychiatric help in, in prison. You know, you you're right. She's coming up for parole, but I'm not so sure that a parole board will release her.
2: Is there any reasonable way that she could have been stopped sooner in your mind?
1: I don't know how unless we could have put her uh, directly at the scenes and you know be able to determine that she was the individual that was responsible. One of the issues that we had in a couple of the fires is that the accessibility to where the fire was actually set was definitely accessible to her, but it was also accessible to somebody that may be just walking off the street. So even though we were successful in saying that fire is arson, there's no question that that fire is incendiary, the question of responsibility and that Shirley was the only one that had the opportunity to create that fire was the difficulty that we had that allowed her to escape prosecution on some of the fires.
2: In total, Shirley is linked to 17 fires in places she lived or at the homes of her family members. Seventeen people! Shirley spent time in inpatient psychiatric wards on 28 separate occasions. Shirley has been treated for over a dozen mental illnesses, including dissociative disorder, bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, schizophrenia, psychogenic amnesia and pyromania. On at least seven separate occasions, Shirley is readmitted into inpatient programs within two days of being released from her previous stay. Shirley's prison social worker has stated his firm belief that the mental health system has failed Shirley. Although it's obvious that she suffers from severe mental illness, she continually fights against offers for help. He went on to comment that Shirley has always been functional enough that she couldn't be involuntarily treated until she became a danger to herself or others. What? She was clearly a danger to both herself and to others. I mean, where's sort of the line here? Where's the boundary? How dangerous do you kind of have to be to throw up the red flags here, people? The doctor concluded his statement with a hope that Shirley's time in prison will allow her to receive meaningful psychological treatment for the first time in her life. Julie will now have to work with the same medical team without the ability to jump from healthcare provider to healthcare provider. Given how close you've been to this entire case, obviously you've read it in and out. You have a personal connection to this. We know a little bit more about, you know, what happened to her as a child. Do you struggle with any empathy for her at all? Do you just view her as kind of this cold-blooded killer who's complicated or do you find yourself... Feeling bad for her
1: ever? That's a very interesting question. You know, when I look back at um, the 1966 carbon monoxide accident, I can't help but feel bad for her. Yeah. But then I think about Ron Winters III. I think about Colleen and John. Um, I think about the and Ryan Rivers. And you know, my sympathy for Shirley is okay. We want. We want to give you the help. We want to help you just come clean and, and, and tell us, you know, tell us what's going on. in that fucked up mind of yours.
2: Part of me is like, could she have turned out any other way, given the tragedy that happened with this? Could it could it have gone some other place? Could someone have made her go to a psychiatric facility sooner to prevent all this? It's one of those things that I think is just going to continually haunt us and obviously has haunted you. Ron, I hope you get justice for everything that you've sort of gone through. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course, we're going to keep an eye on any developments in this case or with Shirley. She's up for parole pretty soon. One thing is for sure, regardless of my own questions about this, we hope justice was served for all of Shirley's victims. For you guys listening to the show, what are your killer questions for this case? You can message me on social media at Darren. I'm Darren Karp. Thanks for listening to Killer Questions. For even more true crime from I.D. and you want that, head to Discovery+. Plus. Go to discoveryplus.com slash killerquestions to start your seven-day free trial today. That's discoveryplus.com slash killerquestions. Terms apply.